Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. One night my friend and I decided to hike to the top of this small mountain at night for a meteor shower. There were four of us, all around 16 at the time, and thought it would be cool. We drove over and started hiking. We took a break about halfway when we noticed there was a guy following us. In a business suit? We were weirded out so we decided to start back up and walk a bit faster. But by the next time we stopped he was like 10 feet away so we bit the bullet to see if he'd just walk by. He didn't. He stopped and asked if we were there for the meteor shower and if he could walk with us. We're a 30 something year old man in a suit wanting to hike with four 16 year olds but whatever. As we were walking my friend and I noticed he was walking really close to our friend the only girl in the group, like he could smell her shampoo close. We got to the top, sat down, and he sat down almost right up on our friend. With her reasonably freaked out I made an excuse on why we have to leave early and we promptly booked it the F out of there. Nearly running the entire way down. When we got back to the car we thought cool we ditched the weirdo. But no. 
When we were all in the car our my friend pointed out that this guy is full on sprinting down the trail and towards our car with a large stick. Being in a car we just drove out of there very shook up. We chalked it up to some dude on some hell of a drug but two days later we all got a text linking us to a news report about a guy that had strangled his wife and then proceeded to kill another girl later that night on a hiking trail. It. Was. The. Guy. The same dude at the same hiking trail. We never told our parents about the incident and never went back there. Ever. I was with a fire crew checking on a water source. I stopped and sat on a rock as the crew went ahead. The area was a free range area. The cows that were in the meadow began to bellow and I watched them all run to the northern side of the meadow. I first thought there might be a cougar amongst the cliff area. I then scanned the ridge and noticed something standing at the edge of the cliff. I thought it might have been like a burnt tree there. Then it began to turn from side to side and I then could see it had a head and shoulder form to it. After a few seconds, it turned and walked back towards the wooded area. I'll never forget that eerie camping trip near Fish Lake, Oregon, which took place about 7 to 10 years ago. It was a peculiar experience that still sends shivers down my spine whenever I think about it. You see, my friend and I were both avid believers in the existence of Bigfoot, and we decided to set up camp in the heart of the wilderness near the Pacific Crest Trail, not too far from Klamath Falls. As night fell and the forest grew darker, we huddled around our crackling campfire, sharing stories and laughs. Little did we know that our own story was about to unfold in the most unexpected way. It was well past midnight when the first bone-chilling scream shattered the tranquility of the night. Terrible, frightening screams that echoed through the trees and seemed to pierce the very fabric of reality. We froze in our places, our hearts pounding like tribal drums, our eyes locked on each other's faces, seeking some reassurance that what we were hearing wasn't just a figment of our imagination. The screams continued, relentless and haunting, lasting for what felt like an eternity, five to ten agonizing minutes that sent chills down my spine. The night seemed to stretch on forever, the forest transformed into an otherworldly realm where fear and curiosity waged a fierce battle within us. As dawn broke, the screams finally subsided, leaving behind an eerie silence that seemed almost more unsettling. Determined to unravel the mystery, my friend and I embarked on a journey into the depths of the forest, tracing the direction from which the screams had originated. Following the trail through the underbrush, we stumbled upon indistinct tracks in the soft, damp earth. These tracks were unlike anything we'd ever seen before, large and elongated, leaving a trail of intrigue in their wake. But the strangest discovery lay ahead. There, in the middle of one of the tracks, was a lifeless baby porcupine, its tiny body squashed as if by some unseen force. The sight was jarring, and a shiver ran down my spine as a thought crossed my mind, could this be what the creature was screaming about? My friend, ever the intrepid adventurer, decided to cast one of the tracks as evidence of our encounter. As he worked meticulously, I couldn't help but glance around nervously, half expecting some hidden presence to reveal itself at any moment. With the cast in hand and a deep sense of trepidation, we began our journey back to camp, our thoughts swirling with the enigmatic events of the past night. Upon returning, we couldn't help but share our experience with Mike, a fellow believer in the mysterious and unexplained. Mike was intrigued, and he promised to try and secure a photograph of the casted track for us to share with others. Our story had taken a curious turn, as the events of that night remained etched in our memories, a haunting reminder that the wild still held secrets beyond our understanding. To this day, whenever I gaze into the depths of a forest or hear a distant howl in the night, I am transported back to that fateful camping trip near Fish Lake, Oregon. The memory of those screams and the inexplicable tracks serve as a constant reminder that there are mysteries in this world that elude explanation waiting to be uncovered by those daring enough to venture into the unknown.
My setting occurred in the year of 2011. In April, if I recall correctly, in the jungles of Indonesia. I was a sergeant at the time of my experience and expressed a desire to be posted in the jungle. It was known that I had jungle warfare training, so it wasn't too hard to convince my superiors that this would be a good idea. I was stationed at an army base just outside of a small town in Indonesia. The town is called Dumai. The base was on the coast, and the nearest town to the base is a small village called Bahau, and that's right around where the sighting took place. During my posting in April of 2011, I was preparing to participate in a jungle warfare exercise with my unit. I had just finished conducting reconnaissance on the objective and was returning back to base when I first saw the creature. I was roughly about a kilometer away from the base and was on a road that linked to Bahau. It's a road that I'd taken many times before. The surrounding area was mainly filled with thick jungle, but it wasn't hard to spot open spaces between. We were moving along this road when I saw an open space roughly 150 meters in front of me. I looked through the trees and saw something that I can only describe as a dragon. The creature was on the ground, its wings folded next to its body. It had a long, slender neck ridged by spines that extended back to its skull. It was gray in color with dim orange patches on the side of its neck and toward the end of its tail. I was going around 35 miles an hour when I first saw it, slamming on the brakes, skidding to a stop when I reached the spot where it was sitting. I never found out what this thing was. It just went away as soon as I saw it. It was unresponsive to my presence and seemed unconcerned by me. I didn't tell anybody else about it. It didn't seem right to report something that I had no concrete proof of. It was just my word against other people's. How? If someone even tried to tell me this, I'd call them a liar. I still didn't believe my own sighting. The really weird thing is that I've been to Bahá'u before and never once saw anything strange. I'm an open-minded person. If it wasn't for the fact that I had gone to Bahá'u before and never seen anything strange, I would think that I was going nuts. As a search and rescue officer, it is our duty to search and conduct every day. It was just another normal day as I patrolled back and forth, searching for anything unusual. So many days, it's the same boring routine, and just as I was thinking this, I heard something. I wonder if there is anything else around me, because as I got closer, I could tell it sounded like a man screaming for help. This was my chance to make a difference. The more I follow the sound, the more I could really tell it was a man screaming for help. When I found him, he was crouched down on his knees, covered in mud. It looks like he had not eaten in days and appeared torn and beaten. He screamed at me to help him, and then he began sobbing, explaining that something large and hairy grabbed him out of the woods and took him here, told him that if he left, it would kill him. Then he informs me it's watching us right now, and right at that moment, I started to hear this low rumbling growl come from the woods close by. This is the moment where I literally pooped bricks, as I reach down for my sidearm. I see this massive shape jump out of the trees, swoop down at this man, pick him up in one full swoop, and disappear off into the trees. The only sound that carried was him screaming, now becoming more faint in the distance till it completely ceased, all happening within five seconds. Clearly, we were dealing with something we were outmatched. I immediately radioed for backup, and unfortunately, they weren't much help. They told me it was already being worked on and that I was not to talk about it or deal with it. In fact, I was let go. They informed me I would no longer be handling this investigation and even threatened my job if I talked about it. Well, here I am, so that's why I'm reporting this anonymously. I'm sorry this is so long, but there are things out there that are going on that people are not talking about, things like this where people are disappearing. That poor man, I don't even know if he's still alive or whatever became of it, and I can't say for sure what that thing was that grabbed him. Was it a Bigfoot? I don't know. It moved far too quickly for me to ever know for sure. <coughs> My 
My ex-husband may have seen a skinwalker one night. He worked the overnight shift in the big city of Santa Fe, New Mexico. Well, Santa Fe is bigger than the small village we were from that had two lane roads to travel to get to the main highways. He would leave our house at 10 p.m. to get to work by 11 p.m. One night I got a frantic call from him when he arrived at work. He sounded almost hysterical. He said he was driving down the usual road to get to the highway and came up to what he thought was a cow sitting in the middle of the road like they do sometimes. He slammed his brakes on and honked his horn, annoyed that he was going to be late. He waited a bit and honked again and the cow stood up and but he realized it was standing up in its hind legs. Then he realized it wasn't a cow. Maybe it was a coyote or wolf. He then saw that it was a naked man as it turned to face him. But the head was of a dog. The creature slammed its hands on the hood of the car and then bound off into the hills in three steps. He couldn't make out where it went but my ex said he drove as fast as he possibly could to get out of the area and to the well-lit highway. Once he arrived at work 20 minutes later, he called me nit making much sense. When he calmed down a bit, we both tried to make out what he possibly could have seen. Even years later, we'd talk about it once in a while, maybe a dog man? Maybe a drunken man wearing a mask? It wasn't until years later we came up with the possibility of a skinwalker. Maybe it was just some distortion of the darkness and headlights during late night driving. Maybe he was hypnotized by the driving but he still thinks he saw something out of the ordinary. I've been avidly having nightmares of someone being in my small town living trailer for quite some time. I had nothing of it to actually say anything. Until now. A week leading up to this I had a sleep paralysis moment where I've seen someone in my house and a co-worker stabilize me because I had a seizure in my dream. I think. Because I was convulsing foam and shit like a regular seizing victim. I remember my ex that used to live in this place by herself. Saying she used to have nightmares and dreams of a person breaking in or being here. I never had resentment to that statement because we're Navajos. In the following months, I've been having nightmares of someone in my home. I'm always in a sleep paralysis moment. Until the other night, I see a person's silhouette from both windows and began to panic because it's at both front and back door. I called my parents and grandma but get no answer. So I called my aunt and she picked up the phone, questioned whatever was going on. And I explained to her the events. Now at this point I'm mad because it's causing me stress. So I told her I'm going to go outside and fight it. She told me otherwise and stay inside. A couple weekends ago my boyfriend and I went up to the North Carolina mountains to a cabin. The cabin was close to Silva and Maggie Valley. I don't want to say the exact location because the post might get deleted. The cabin is in the Smoky Mountains. My boyfriend is older than me by quite a bit, and he had been going to this cabin for his whole life. He told me a story about a man who knew when he was younger and this was back in the old logging days. The man was named Joe and was very familiar with the woods and was an outdoorsman. One day Joe went in the woods and got lost, which is very unusual for him because he knows the woods like the back of his hands. He became very disoriented, and as he was trying to find his way home, a cottonmouth snake came out of nowhere and bit him in the eye. He eventually got out of the woods and returned home. Joe was known to be a very sweet man and would give you the clothes off his back, that kind of person. However, right after the incident, Joe became very mean aggressive, not like his nature at all. After a little while Joe just disappeared without a trace. Shortly after this a couple of the neighbors also disappeared without trace, as well as of the neighbor's livestock. Fast forward my boyfriend while he was still young, was enjoying a campfire with his friends. In the woods, they heard what he said sounded like someone hitting a tree with a cane. The thuds were very precise and came in series of threes. Example, thud, 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 silence thud, thud, thud. They joked around and said it might be Joe. 
Fast forward to present day, my boyfriend and I are at the cabin. He had told me these stories at the campfire. Maybe he was just trying to scare me and made these up, but I thought it kind of sounded like a windigo was behind the disappearances. Anyways, one night as we were sitting on the couch, and I heard what sounded like something tapping at one of the windows. The next day in the afternoon, we were sitting on the couch watching TV. We then heard what sounded like something very very heavy on the roof, except it didn't sound like something walking. It's harder to describe, but it kinda just would make like two knocking sounds stop and then do it again. Later that night as we were in bed, I couldn't sleep, so I was on my phone. I heard what I thought I was talking and I listened harder and it was actually chickens that I heard. They were making that little warble sound that they do. I thought this was kind of weird because while there were chickens that came from the neighbor's house the other day when he was grilling, I didn't think chickens were nocturnal. Maybe they are. A few minutes after I stopped hearing the chickens, my boyfriend, who I didn't realize it was awake started complaining how he couldn't sleep and decided to go to the car to find some Benadryl he left in it. I followed him, and while I didn't go outside with him, I stood on the porch and watched him. There were no chickens outside, and I didn't hear any at all. Maybe this is all just my imagination going crazy but when I did hear the sounds, I pretended not to. I didn't really want to take chances. Could this have been a windigo was my imagination just running wild? From the stories, I heard about Joe and people disappearing and the sounds I heard, I thought maybe it could be one. I ventured deep into the heart of the secluded Idaho forest on a solo hunt, determined to track down elusive stags that had long eluded my grasp. The dense woods were shrouded in a cloak of shadows, the sunlight struggling to pierce through the thick canopy above. The scent of damp earth and pine needles filled the air, a familiar and comforting presence that grounded me amidst the solitude. As I followed the path deeper into the woods, my senses sharpened, attuned to the rustling leaves and the subtle shifts in the wind. The anticipation of the hunt surged through my veins, mingling with a quiet reverence for the untamed beauty that surrounded me. Each step was deliberate, each sound carefully weighed against the backdrop of nature's symphony. And then, as if emerging from the depths of the forest itself, I saw it, a figure unlike anything I had encountered before. It stood tall and imposing, walking upright in my direction. My heart quickened, and I instinctively sought cover behind a nearby tree, my breathing shallow as I peered out. I turned to cast a cautious glance in its direction, my pulse pounding in my ears. The creature was closer now, just about ten feet away. Its form was shrouded in darkness, an enigmatic silhouette that defied easy description. Its build was sturdy, slightly shorter than my own and it moved with an unsettling grace that sent shivers down my spine. I strained my eyes to discern its features, but its necklace head remained obscured, devoid of any visible features that I could make out. It paused by the very tree I was using for cover, its head tilting upward as it sniffed the air, like a predator catching a scent on the breeze. The absence of visible eyes only heightened the eerie sensation that gripped me. Fear rooted me to the spot, my muscles refusing to obey my desperate pleas to flee. I watched, transfixed, as the creature's attention shifted away from me. With a casual nonchalance that sent a shiver down my spine, it turned and walked away, fading into the forest like a specter melting into the shadows. In a surge of both desperation and disbelief, I raised my rifle and aimed it at the retreating figure. The gunshot shattered the silence, the sharp report echoing through the woods. I watched as the bullet streaked toward the creature, impacting its dark form. But to my shock, the bullet seemed to bounce off its skin, falling harmlessly to the ground. The creature didn't flinch, didn't react. It was as if its very flesh was impervious to harm. A sense of bewilderment washed over me as the creature disappeared from sight. My thoughts were a jumble of confusion and wonder, grappling with the inexplicable encounter that had just unfolded before me. Slowly, I lowered my rifle, my hands trembling as I tried to make sense of what I had witnessed. 
Hours later, as I returned home to the waiting embrace of my wife, I found myself at a loss for words. Her eyes sparkled with curiosity and warmth, and she asked the question that I had anticipated, did you hunt anything today? But I remained silent, the memory of the enigmatic creature still vivid in my mind. I had ventured into the heart of the forest, seeking to conquer nature and claim my prize. Instead, I had come face to face with a mystery beyond my understanding, a reminder that the wild places of the world held secrets far stranger and more wondrous than I could ever have imagined. Hey, just before I explain the story, I want to clarify a few points. First, this occurred in the United Kingdom. I understand that this is a SW subreddit, but it really does fit the criteria, and you seem like experts regarding this topic more than anyone. Second, this wasn't a dream, or hallucination, whilst on a late night walk, me and my sister heard or witnessed this. It is corroborated, and, on a late walk, perhaps around 10.30, 11, me and my sister took a path through a churchyard, and through some fields. Approaching an enclave in the next field, however, we heard a scream. It was not like an animal, nor human, the harmony of both high, and deep, was rattling, like a man screaming, crossed with a dying animal. There was a hedge in our way, obstructing vision. Whatever it was, it lay behind the hedge. We both looked forward, and saw the silhouette of a tall, crooked thing, it was on two legs, though its back was hunched forward, its head long and with jagged teeth. We didn't know what it was, nor did we want to. In any case, without speaking to each other, we ran in the opposite direction. Both of us. I am a coward, but my sister is tough as nails, she wouldn't simply run from an animal's cry. And yet, we both ran. Any thoughts about what it was? I had a group of friends who used to get together and play manhunt in a local park at night. Just a different way of saying a big game of hide and seek tag where three people start off it and everyone else goes and hides in the park. As they find and tag people, they become it as well until eventually there is only one to three people left then we start again, and play into early morning. Well one night I was it with my friend and his younger brother. We were heading to the middle of the park to a hotspot for hiding places. There is a long stairwell that leads up a huge hill to a pavilion and field. We were slowly walking down those stairs, maybe halfway down when we noticed two folks way below us. Thinking it was one of our friends, we tell out, hey, WHO's that? Instead of the normal reaction, which is to call out your name then sprint away trying to avoid getting tagged, a strange voice responds who the F are you? We at first started sprinting down at them, like we normally would. But then we realized they too, were sprinting at us. We don't even hesitate, we turn around and sprint up the stairs, as fast as we can, adrenaline kicking it, hair sticking up on the back of my neck. We make it up on top of the hill and pause, when I look back and they are right behind us, not more than 10 feet away, which is absurdly fast because of how much distance we had had between us. We lose our shit and start sprinting as fast as possible to the park trail, that wraps around the entire park and leads to a road where one of our friends live and that we use as a meetup spot between games. It's a two mile run back from where we are so we book it, sprinting as if our lives depended on it. Occasionally looking back and seeing the two people following behind. As we get nearer our energy is spent but we push on and make it to the street looking back and there is no sign of the two strangers. All of our group is back at the house, lounging on the driveway, having decided to prank us that night, and while we were off in the park searching for them, they would meet back at the house until we gave up. We shared our story with them and some laughed in disbelief, others wanted to search the park for those two randoms, but we never discovered who they were. All I know is that they were incredibly fast, and shady as f. When I was younger I went to a state park with my family, there's a fairly large hiking trail up a hill that leads to a cave. 
Well me being a child I thought they were taking too long, so I took off up the trail into the woods, ended up losing the trail and screaming for help for a good 20 minutes. I fully convinced myself that I could survive for at least two days, build a shelter, and catch some food. I'm glad they found me before I set up camp. Another time I had just woken up from my first night on a camping trip and decided to walk to the lake. About 5 minutes into my walk I look to my left and see 5 wild boars about 20 yards from me, that was possibly scarier than the first in incident. The air was crisp and laden with the aroma of dinner cooking over an open fire. My partner and I, two dedicated prospectors, had set up camp along the tranquil upper Wolf Creek. As the sun dipped below the horizon, casting long shadows through the towering trees, we were lost in the camaraderie of shared stories and the promise of what the next day's prospecting might bring. But then, as if the forest itself had been jolted awake, a sudden commotion erupted from the woods. We turned our heads just in time to catch a glimpse of a bear, a massive creature sprinting through the underbrush. It bounded past our campsite, its powerful form creating a blur of fur and muscle, as it splashed through the creek and disappeared into the darkness on the other side. We exchanged astonished glances, our hearts racing from the unexpected encounter. Our surprise was far from over, for mere moments after the bear's passing, another thunderous sound reverberated through the air. We swiveled our heads, our eyes widening in disbelief. There, following the exact path as the bear, was an immense figure, towering and covered in hair. It was a Bigfoot, a creature often relegated to the realm of myths and legends, now running before our very eyes. The Bigfoot, every bit as swift as the bear, leapt over the creek with a grace that belied its size, disappearing into the shadows beyond. Our jaws dropped in unison, and a stunned silence settled over our camp. The forest seemed to hold its breath, as if acknowledging the rarity of the spectacle we had just witnessed. After what felt like an eternity, one of us finally managed to find his voice. What did you just see? The words hung in the air, a testament to the bewildering reality of the situation. Slowly, we approached the creek, our hearts still racing, and our minds struggling to comprehend the improbable sequence of events that had unfolded before us. At the water's edge, we knelt down and examined the ground, our fingers tracing the impressions left behind by the passing creatures. There, side by side, were the tracks of both the bear and the Bigfoot. One giant print was superimposed over the outline of a bear's paw, a visual representation of the unlikely convergence of two enigmatic beings. Days later, still awestruck by our encounter, we shared our story with our fellow National Guardsmen during our monthly meeting in Grants Pass. Excitement radiated from us as we recounted the tale of the bear and the Bigfoot, the unlikely companions that had sprinted through our camp with a reckless abandon, completely unbothered by our presence. As the unit sergeant listened to our account, he could sense the sincerity in our voices and the awe that still lingered in our eyes. He had no doubt that we had experienced something truly extraordinary. It was a moment that would forever bind us, a memory etched in our minds, a testament to the mysteries that still linger within the depths of the forest, waiting to be uncovered by those fortunate enough to bear witness. I was packing supplies into a shelter on the long trail. I was 10 or 11. I got 10 bucks for it each time I did it. I am coming back out and I hear a dog barking. I think cool. Someone is hiking with their dog. Then I hear another dog bark and another and another until there were about 20 different voices and I felt the hairs on the back of my neck go stiff. They could not have been much more than a couple hundred yards away. I knew there was no way to avoid or outrun them so I climbed the nearest pine tree I could get to. I was up about 20 feet when this pack of wild dogs arrived and proceeded to circle the tree, occasionally following my scent up the tree trunk. Then they decided to try and wait me out. Only one person knew I was packing in and he wasn't going to be home until 10.30 at night. So we waited. All I had was a buck knife and a wrist rocket. 
So I made the weight as painful as possible. When I ran out of rocks, I used pine cones. Small green ones. I may have peed on them a few times too. It was dark when they decided to leave. I walked home after collecting a handful of stones. Met my dad on the road going home. Never so glad to crawl into bed. My dad was a professional land surveyor and I would work for him on weekends or during the summer. We were doing some work in a large conservation area and had parked the truck in a wide path that was supposed to be only open to environmental police and such, but there was a- Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Obviously illegal dumping. We were going back to the truck for lunch, and when we stepped out onto the path near the truck, it was surrounded by at least half a dozen bikers who had broken the driver's side window and thrown all the gear out looking for stuff to steal. We were about 50 feet from them, and it felt like hours of silence when one of them said to the others he saw us, they can identify us. I was 11 or 12, I don't really remember, but I was old enough to know what he was insinuating. My dad stepped in front of me, made a gesture with his hand that was holding his machete, a common tool for land surveyors, and said we didn't see anything, we're just working. Now, I know for a fact my dad was capable of hurting people, even his own kids, and he could scrap. After a long pause, they backed away, got on their bikes and left. My dad had us pack up only the important or expensive gear, stakes and property bound stayed, and drove us out of there in the other direction. I've never seen him be that reckless with a truck, before or after. With we got to a nearby convenience store my body and mind completely drained of adrenaline and I lost it. I couldn't even stand. I couldn't believe those people were going to kill us just because we caught them breaking into our car, but they absolutely were. My dad was a shit person, he was abusive and mentally ill. But there were a few times he showed he didn't hate me, and that was one of them. Hiking in Colorado through some old train tunnels with a friend, not far off from a fairly populated area. The train tunnels were fascinating, blasted out of mountain with some quite long, requiring headlamps, but definitely wouldn't want to be there alone. We eventually dead-ended so backtracking the way we came. As we exited one tunnel, there was a severed deer head in the middle of the path that wasn't there the first time we walked through. Not a recent kill but still fully fleshed. On our way into the area, there were some tents that were clearly used by homeless individuals maybe 150 yards off the path. We took it as a clear sign we weren't welcome and needed to leave immediately. There is a ghost town high up in the Montana mountains, not far from Yellowstone. Few people know about it. The only road in and out fell into disrepair long ago. To get there requires an intermediate climbing skill set. It can only be attempted when conditions are warm and dry, which around here amounts to a window of a couple of months each year. My grandfather spoke of it once. The story lacked detail, the particulars lost in the fog of memory, and Pop was never one to embellish once his recollection failed. It was a story he heard as a boy of a silver mine up in the mountains, of a creature that called the forest home. It was no bear. It was no wolf. Whatever it was refused to share the land with the miners and the fledgling town built to support them. What followed was a massacre. The survivors abandoned the town and never returned. Last summer, Taylor and I hiked and camped for a week within Yellowstone National Park. We lucked out with the weather. We went off grid and loved every minute. The last night, beside a whispering fire, we promised we would do it again. 
As the firmament above turned about the North Star, I told her about the ghost town. She breathed the story in. That's where we would go. A harsh winter is rendered tolerable by the promise of spring. It was the summer, though, that held my attention. A long break from school and a week in the mountains. It is a rare treat to do precisely what you most desire. The warmth of the sun brought with it an unbridled giddiness. The wait was almost over. We drove as far as we could, winding our way up between mountains stripped of the white caps of winter and smeared with green and blue and brown. Taylor rolled the car to a stop on the shoulder of a lonely dirt track. The crisp mountain air tempered the warmth of the sun. We shouldered our packs and climbed. What is left of the ghost town, as far as we knew, did not amount to much. The rangers fingered it on a map, though none had been up there. The location was an inherited knowledge. My grandfather could only guess as to the whereabouts. It's up there somewhere, he had said. When I told him our plans and that it was his story that inspired our destination, a smile gave way to pensiveness. He told me to be careful. I told him not to worry. The spruce trees thinned the higher we climbed. We scrambled up a rocky shoulder and Taylor checked the map. We were making good ground. If luck fell on our side we would get there by sunset. An impassable chunk of vertical rock face led to a detour that cost us a couple of hours. It would have to be tomorrow. We camped in a clearing with a view of our destination across the plain. In the distance the trees huddled together as if against the cool night air and obscured the X on the map. I wondered what we would find. There was a good chance little remained. Perhaps a few stumps where a rudimentary wooden house once stood. We turned our attention to the sky and watched for shooting stars and agreed it didn't matter. Taylor woke me in the dead of the night. The half-moon hung low over the mountains. Her whispered words came out in bursts. My groggy brain took its time assembling them into something coherent. She had heard something. The crack of a tree branch, sharp and loud as if it had been snapped like a twig. And now there was a light. In the pale, silver glow of the moon, I followed her outstretched hand. Hanging just above the horizon, a yellow light flickered. It gave the impression of a candle burning in a window. Except out here there were no windows and no one to burn a candle. I could only offer vague solutions. An optical trick played by some atmospheric anomaly. A hunting group around a campfire, though this was not a usual place for such things. Whatever it was, it lay far enough away to pose no danger. What neither of us said is that it lay in the direction of our travel. We lay back down. For a time I opened my right eye at intervals to check if the light remained. It did. And then I slept. We barely spoke in the morning and set off in the direction of the ghost town. I was anxious to uncover a mundane explanation for the light we saw the night before. The remains of a campfire, or some hermit living alone up in the mountains. The way Taylor kept her eyes on the trees ahead told me she was thinking the same. We entered into the thick patch of forest. The trees grew close and blocked the sun. Stray branches scratched at our bare legs. The ground undulated and I found myself instinctively following it down and soon I was disoriented. Taylor took out the map and the GPS inexplicably. The GPS gave no signal and she turned her attention to the map. I ventured forwards until my boot stubbed against something solid. After a glance down I jumped back. A wooden stake driven into the hard earth. It had cracked about a foot above the ground and whatever once had been above I could only guess at but then more emerged from between the trees. To my left a clearing full of them. Wooden crosses arranged haphazardly, dozens of them. I called out to Taylor, my voice thin and small. I stepped through the cemetery, careful not to step on the ground directly in front of any cross, an old superstition difficult to kick. The crucifixes were rudimentary, simple planks of wood. Some were overtaken by rot, Others preserved well enough to read an inscription across the horizontal member. Names and dates. The congregation in the back corner contained no less than six, all with the same date. December 7, 1891. The massacre of my grandfather's story, I thought. Probably cholera, 
Taylor said, voicing her own explanation. If there is anything left of that town, we must be close. Beyond the cemetery the spruce thinned and the ground rose. We crested the slope and there it was. The remains of the town stood on a plateau of hard earth. A few of the wooden houses remained as complete structures, the timber warped and cracked and bleached the color of the ground. A few more were relieved of roofs and parts of walls leaving a fragile relic of what had been. My eyes swept up the sloping mountain beyond where a rusted red limb of mining equipment poked above the rocks. Taylor approached the closest house and pushed the door. The gentle force tore the door from its hinge and it slapped against the dirt interior of the house. Needles from the surrounding spruce littered the floor. She ventured inside. I lingered on the outside and examined a pair of grooves in the timber siding. Weather had worn the edges. I ran my fingers down them and wondered what could have made such marks. This is cool, Taylor said. She was right. Some of the houses contained old tables and chairs and bed frames left behind before the move back down the mountain. We found little else save a lone glass bottle half buried in the ground. We dumped our gear beside the house closest to the cemetery and set about scaling the rock in the direction of the mining equipment beyond. We found a crude staircase cut into the rock and powered to the top. What remained of the mining equipment amounted to an A-frame with a bucket on rails to extract the dirt and a few abandoned picks. A shaft cut into the earth and was soon swallowed by darkness. We could only guess at the depth. I scrambled up a slope beyond and sat on a small rock platform with a lookout over the valley below, my legs dangling over the side. In the distance the mountains looked blue. We lingered there for a time, until the sun kissed the peaks to the west. Tonight we would camp at the ghost town, and we would stay a few days. The first sign of trouble was my red windbreaker lying on the ground beside a half-collapsed house at the back of the ghost town. When we left, the windbreaker was packed tight into my backpack. Something had messed with my bag. It wouldn't be the first time. Squirrels or birds had done it before, but I was sure the windbreaker was deep down in my bag. It would take a persistent squirrel to get to it. A second option had my heart thumping. A bear. Our gear was a mess. Our clothes and sleeping bags were strewn across the ground. The small gas burner was upturned. My backpack had two parallel tiers running top to bottom. I ran my hand over them like I had the two grooves in the siding on the house. This was no squirrel. Taylor picked up her black pan and turned it in her hand. She showed me. One side buckled inwards. Taylor gripped it and pulled at the metal to bring it back into shape. It did not budge. A bear, I said. It had to be. I fumbled in my bag for the canister of bear mace. My muscles tensed and my hands worked frantically until I found it, stored where I had left it. At least we still had that. We searched the ground and looked for bear tracks. The telltale wide paws and grouping of front and back legs together. I found a depression in the ground. I hovered my foot above the footprint, my shoe dwarfed in comparison. And no second print. Whatever came into our camp did so on two legs and at the base of those two legs were extraordinary feet. It can't be true. Someone is messing with us. Taylor inspected the print. Neither of us had ever seen anything like it. I looked west and the sun was already gone, the sky turning a shade of orange at the horizon. Light would fade fast. We had few options. Whatever it was that had been here was not here now. We had planned to camp outside under the stars, but with something stalking the forest, we rolled our sleeping bags and mats inside one of the houses. At least it provided some semblance of security. We did not risk a fire. Darkness overwhelmed the light quickly and completely. Clouds rolled in from the west at nightfall. A light breeze carried a faint hint of moisture. The forecast had warned of possible storms. I stuck my head out one of the windows and aside from a blurred smudge of the moon through the clouds, the sky gave no light. We were on edge. Inside the house it was a deep, pitch black. I set the canister of bear mace beside my pillow, periodically palming it to make sure it was still there. 
Every crack and rustle from the forest had us twitching and turning our ears to the sound. I buried my head between my knees and wondered how I could tolerate the hours left until morning. I apologized to Taylor for suggesting we come out here. She laughed it off. We'd get through it and have an amazing story to tell. Her voice trembled. I don't know what time I fell asleep. When I woke it was still dark and my pillow was wet. Light rain made a gentle rapping on the roof. A hole in the roof let through a small drip. I dragged my sleeping bag over to a dry section of floor. In the distance thunder rumbled, low and ominous. Then something else, closer. A crack from the forest. Not a twig, but something more substantial. And then a growl, low and deep. I shook Taylor awake. In the darkness we listened. Nothing. Had I dreamed it? No, I couldn't have. There was something out there. Should we risk turning on the torch? No. We had to be quiet. I closed my hands around the bear mace. The drumming on the roof intensified. The drip, drip of the leak in the roof turned to a constant dribble. A flash lit up the sky and on its heels a clap of thunder that shook the flimsy structure we had chosen as our protector. The door flew open. I let out an involuntary scream. In the strengthening whine the door flapped back and forth, rapping on the wall. I froze in place, fear rendering my muscles useless. Taylor made a rustling beside me and I guessed she was moving for the door. Another flash of lightning confirmed my guess, the silhouette of Taylor fumbling in the dark for the door. She used the brief moment of light to gather her bearings and grip the door. A second flash followed the first and through the doorway a figure emerged. Big and black, it was no bear. In the moment of light it looked stationary, but my imagination soon put it in motion, lumbering for the open door. Shut the door, I yelled. Taylor clapped shut the door and a deep growl mixed with the thunder. Help me, Taylor screamed. Her voice shifted my brain into gear. I jumped up and scrambled forwards and fell into the door. I braced my legs and pressed my shoulder against the old and cracked timber. Did you see it? I asked. Yes. What was that? I don't know. Guilt flooded my brain. It had been my idea to come out here. I had pushed for a second summer in the mountains. Taylor could have joined her college friends in Mexico. This trip had been, at least in part, a sense of duty for her. I thought of the cemetery and the dozens of graves. The six on a single day. The scratch marks on the house made by a powerful hand. The stories were true, at least in the important details. Something lived up here. Something that did not care to share its home with humans. Taylor's voice cut through my thoughts. Should we run? No. Run where? We had to stay together. The creature pushed at the door with such force I felt about as big and strong as a toddler. We pushed back and the door slammed back into place. The timber pinched at my shoulder. I felt with my hands and found a split in the wood. The door would not hold much longer. Through the torrent of rain the creature snorted and spat, its hot breath penetrating the crack in the door and blowing over my neck. It pushed a second time and that was enough. We fell to the ground, fragments of the splintered door clattering to the floor around us. I landed heavy on my right side, the canister of bare mace spilling from my grasp and rolling away into the darkness. I crawled after it, feeling in the dark and expecting at any moment to be lifted in the air by my ankles. Behind me Taylor screamed. It had her. Finally, the edge of my index finger hit the cold steel of the canister. I fumbled it into my hands and stood. I saw nothing in the darkness. The rain beat on the roof and the wind howled and the creature snarled and in among it all I found no compass. I prepared to fire the mace in random hope and hesitated a second, enough for a jagged fork of lightning to illuminate the sky. The animal held Taylor close to its chest in the corner of the room. I jumped a single step and as the world went dark again I sprayed and hoped. The creature wailed in pain and Taylor thudded to the ground at my feet. Heavy footsteps sloshed on the sodden ground outside the house and then stopped. He wasn't gone yet. I stepped out into the rain. The waterlogged ground saturated my woolen socks. 
The rain fell thick and cold. A freezing wind sucked the warmth from my body. I listened. I waited. I shivered. The first dose may not have sent it fleeing to the forest, but a second might. Where was the lightning? Was the storm spent? A hand gripped my bicep. It pulled me close. Lightning lit up the sky. My face was inches from his. Eyes eerily human. A thick mat of black hair soaked from the rain. With my free hand I pushed the canister to his flat nose and sprayed. He threw his hands in the air and lifted me clean off the ground. For a moment I felt weightless and then came crashing back down. Soggy footfalls faded into the distance. It was gone. We huddled in the back corner of the house until daybreak. With the rising of the sun, the rain turned to drizzle and finally stopped. We kicked at the fragments of the splintered door. Outside, several vague footprints pressed into the mud, partially destroyed by the rain. We gathered our things and began the walk home. The crosses standing in the cemetery hammered home that we had been lucky. Before commencing our descent down the shoulder of rock I turned and looked back up the slope. In the gloom a lone light shone on the hill where the ghost town and the cemetery stood. Not a welcome light, but a warning. So me and my friend I'll name them Red, went down to a bridge that was over a river, the area was pretty shaded and trees was covering the bridge. Red and I were hanging out there and we heard a noise, at first we didn't think anything of it. Then we heard another noise and Red started running, I followed them. While we were running I heard rustling to my left, and something told me to run faster. So when I ran faster Red looked behind me and they saw a six feet guy with no face standing behind me, it was in the shade, he was wearing a white sweater with blue jeans. Anyway we got to my ATV and we turned around and saw it walking the opposite way. It wasn't walking normal, it was walking like an NPC. It turned the corner on the bridge and disappeared. We got super scared and I tried to start the ATV but it somehow got stuck in the gravel. It was so stuck we had to have helped by a random stranger. We eventually got home but later we decided to go to a cemetery at night. The cemetery wasn't even a mile away from the bridge. I had another friend come over, I'll name them Blue, and we drove over to the cemetery. Once we pulled into the cemetery everything was just grey. And the sun had just barley went down. I saw some cloud of smoke right across from me. And I had the urge to go further into the cemetery. All of the sudden I just pressed the gas, W my hand, and when I drove past the cemetery I felt this feeling of determination and I had this thought that wasn't mine and it was I have to save them and I stopped at a corner and I looked to my left and I saw a cloud of dark smoke and I remember having this thought that wasn't mine and it was it's hunting us after that my head went back and my body was shaking and gagging then I just suddenly pressed on the gas with my hand and I flew around the corner. My hand was stuck and I couldn't move it from the position of being on the gas button. I pulled over and showed my friends my hand. I could barely pull it away and it was shaking, it hurt a lot. So I said someone take over I can't drive anymore and I got up to switch with red. But my body was thrown down and I passed the gas button to drive. Blue was praying while we were at the cemetery and they got punched in the gut and they felt like throwing up. So they were leaned over while I was driving home. And red had a clear shot of me. Mind you they let go of the ATV and pulled their knife out. Eventually we got home and Red was acting strange. So we went to my basement and me and Blue started to sage Red. But they didn't like it. Also Red was staring at me and smiling the entire time. So I saw them reach into their pocket and then they stood up. I looked away for a second and their knife was halfway open and they were staring at me. So I immediately took their knife away. And I was smoke cleansing Red and saying whatever has attached to Red's body will be gone and I was whispering barley audible words. I opened my eyes and Red started chuckling at me. It didn't sound like their normal laugh, so I got my friend and we put a blessing on her to get that out of her. And we both still feel called to go back to the place. What do we do?
a few friends and I went on an overnight hike in the Rockies behind our little town a few years back when I was in HS. Our camping site was pretty far up there and it was getting dark. The spot we were at was nestled in a grove of trees secluded from the wind and elements so we decided to stop there for the night. The four of us built a little fire and ate dinner then just talked for a few hours. Then all of the sudden my friend leaps forward and douses the fire with our emergency water plunging us into complete darkness. Needless to say the rest of us were pretty pissed as there was no reason for him to do this. He quickly shushes us and we realize he is absolutely terrified. Like so scared he couldn't even speak or move. The rest of us manage to get a few word out of him and he tells us to look up on the ridge where we should have been camping at. It was pretty far up so it was kind of hard to see at first, but that sight will haunt me for the rest of my life. There was a fire, a big one, like a bonfire sort of thing. Around the fire were several figures moving in a slow circle. They were humanoid but not quite, and in they had arms and legs like people but something just seemed different about them that I can't really explain. Almost like the limbs were too long and skinny or something but maybe not. Anyway these figures just moved around the fire in a really slow circle over and over again. My one friend claims he could hear them singing something but I don't remember anything. Importantly there was one standing off to the side a little ways leaning with his arm on a tree branch above his head. It really creeped us out, but we were able to sleep it off. We figured it was a scout troop having a camp or something. Morning came and we finished off our hike to the peak and on our way down we passed the place we saw the figures and decided to check out the camp. It was completely deserted. It was obvious that there had been a fire and there were footprints everywhere. Inside the fire pit was a small mound of charred animal bones, probably chipmunk, and a pile of four or five rodent skulls that had been burned. Creepy right? Then we look over at where the one figure was standing. Blood. Not a lot, but enough to be of concern or anything but enough to be creepy. Then we see the tree branch he was casually leaning against. It was well over any of our heads and I'm over six foot. That would mean that in order for the figure to lean against it like he was, he would need to be at least seven feet tall. Needless to say, we got off that mountain very fast and I have never been up there again. We called the fish and wildlife rangers and told them what we saw. They said it was probably just a bunch of kids messing around and not to worry about it. It might have been just that, and we let our imaginations run wild but all four of us swear to this day we all saw the same thing and it didn't look like a bunch of kids in the dark. I don't believe in ghost or the supernatural but those mountains still scare the shit out of me and I will never go back there again. I'm late to the party, but years ago some friends and I were going to have a campfire at a lake late at night, with copious amounts of alcohol. When we got there, we had to drive around a barricade, and one of the cars got stuck in the mud. While trying to get it unstuck, I looked around and made a joke about how we were definitely in the beginning of a horror movie. We all laugh about it. We get the car out and continue to the lake, get all set up, fire is going, music is playing, drinks are flowing, we are having a great time. All of a sudden some random guy comes walking out of the woods with a beer. I get nervous. Everyone else tells me I'm being paranoid since I watch a lot of scary movies. They invite him to join us, he ends up sitting next to me, but a few feet away. I go to grab another beer from the cooler, see the hatchet that someone brought and I decide I'm going to hold on to it. I sit back down and this random guy makes some comment about he can see my jugular and wants to bite it. I'm ready to piece TF out, but I of course didn't drive. A little while later he makes a comment about he should have brought his chainsaw. I'm completely alone in thinking this is going to end badly, I move across the fire and closer to the cooler and one of my friends. I set the hatchet next to me, try to ignore the guy and enjoy my night. Fast forward a bit, and the guy is making more weird comments so I reach for the hatchet. It's gone. I start glancing around, discreetly at first, when the guy smiles at me from across the fire and goes looking for this. And holds up the hatchet. I said F all of this, 
I'm leaving and managed to get one of my friends to leave. The next day everyone said that nothing more happened, but as someone who has seen a lot of movies, I wasn't taking any chances. I'm white, but I'm not laugh off a crazy guy with a hatchet white. I called an elk to camp. Was camping with my family in our luxury camp kit, I have three types of camp kit. This one has a blow up mattress. I blow it up with an accordion style raft pump. This pump makes what's best described as an elk mating bugle. This is no cell service deep in the woods type of camping. It was also rut season. Sitting around the campfire after wife daughter and dog went to bed, I heard a large creature about 50 feet from me. Never saw it but the mass and noise makes me think I called an elk from across the valley. Another story. Wife's sister and boyfriend flew into town and then wanted to go camping. Was driving down a very rough road quickly, vehicle is modified and I enjoy off-roading, to an awesome campsite that has a bluff to sunrise and sunset with one road in and out. Again very deep in the woods. Everyone was falling asleep on the drive so nobody else saw. Driving down the road the largest cinnamon bear I've ever seen jumped in front of my forerunner ran 100 yards then ducked out. We were maybe quarter mile from where I planned to camp. Bear was the size of my forerunner from the windshield forward, guessing 1,200 plus pounds. We did not camp where I planned. I'm comfortable with bear while I camp as they are usually 6 to 700 pounds black bear and I have safeguards to fight that off. Not this bear, I could double my mace and guns and still wouldn't mess with that guy. Decided to hike up Mount Warning, Queensland, Australia, at about 10pm at night with my girlfriend. We were planning to hike up through the night which was about 3 to 4 hours, camp and smoke weed at the top and then catch the sunrise. Foolishly, we were hiking with a single torch and an iPhone light. About halfway up and it's pitch black, really quiet super creepy. We decide to have a break and take a seat on a log to chill. Out of nowhere we see a light way below us on the mountainside. It looked like a headlamp. Okay so maybe some else is hiking up in the middle of the night? Kind of freaked but whatever, we push on. For the next hour or so I would keep checking behind us and catching this light tracking behind us in and out of the tree line. We finally get to the summit which turns into a scramble and make it to the top. There is a platform up there so we set up and relax. I'm kind sketching out, the weed isn't helping but looking around expecting someone else to show up but no one came. We unpack sleeping bags, eat some food and no off to sleep. I woke up about 4am as the sky started to brighten up and find backpack gone with all out stuff in sprawled out across the platform. It was dead silent and just super eerie to wake up too. Anyways we both freaked, grabbed our stuff and basically ran back down the mountain. 